0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday morning edition of scorebox Let's get into your headlines this hour. There's been a record rise in coronavirus cases globally, says the WHO, with the US logging its second highest number ever, while Brazil's infections top 50,000 and Germany sees its rate spike because of an outbreak at a slaughterhouse. President Trump makes a lackluster return to the campaign stage as his rally in Tulsa draws a smaller crowd than expected. The U.S. leader used the rally to attack Joe Biden and protesters while spending little time addressing COVID-19.
1: When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please.
0: Wirecard withdraws its first quarter and full year results as the German payments company says the 1.9 billion euro missing from its accounts may never have existed. Sources tell CNBC Lufthansa bosses will meet with the Ministry of Finance and billionaire investor Heinz Hermann Thiele today to try to reach a bailout resolution ahead of a shareholder meeting later this week.
2: The British government prepares to launch legislation that will shield companies deemed vital to the fight against the virus from foreign takeovers and hostile approaches.
0: Uh, a warm welcome to the programme. And we kick off this morning with sobering statistics. Monday marked the largest single-day rise in global coronavirus cases, according to the World Health Organization. More than 183,000 new cases were reported worldwide. Brazil saw the largest number of new infections and deaths, followed by the U.S., and India, the total number of confirmed cases since the start of the outbreak is closing in now on 9 million, with the death toll nearing the half a million mark. In Germany, the virus reproduction rate, or R-rate as it's called, has jumped to 288 marking a fast rise in new infections. The country is scrambling to enforce quarantine measures following an outbreak at an abattoir. Riot police had to be deployed in Göttingen to ensure people thought to be at risk adhered to isolation rules. In North Rhine-Westphalia, more than 7,000 people have been quarantined following the outbreak At a slaughterhouse owned by Tueni's, Germany's biggest meat-producing group, state premier and uh, Angela Merkel's prospective uh, successor Armin Laschet said the uh, he won't rule out reimposing wider lockdown rules. Now, China has halted imports from U.S. meat producer Tyson. After the company announced a COVID-19 case at its processing plant in Arkansas, Tyson said it was working with the US government to address the issue, adding there is little risk of the virus being transmitted by food. Meanwhile, in China, PepsiCo has suspended activity at a factory in Beijing after an employee tested positive for the virus. It is unclear... If more employees have been infected uh, since or rather affected since the infection was confirmed last week. Well, the United States has reported almost 37,000 new cases on Sunday with infections quickly spreading throughout the south and west of the country. It remains the world's worst affected country with new cases nearing 2.3 million and fatalities totaling around 120,000. California, Texas, Florida and Arizona saw the most significant jump in numbers. President Trump delivered his first campaign speech in three months in Tulsa over the weekend. The campaign claimed to have received up to a million requests for tickets for the event. But multiple reports suggest teenagers on TikTok had reserved large quantities of tickets that they never planned to use. The rally had attracted criticism for going ahead despite a spike in COVID-19 cases in Oklahoma. Six members of the Trump advance team were confirmed to have attracted the, contracted the virus ahead of that event. The US leader defended his administration's response to the pandemic claiming he was not getting the credit he deserved.
1: You don't hear them talking about COVID. COVID. To be specific, COVID-19. That name gets further and further away from China as opposed to calling it the Chinese virus. And despite the fact that we, I, have done a phenomenal job with it. I shut down the United States to very heavily infected, but all people from China in late January, which is months earlier than other people would have done it if they would have done it at all. I saved hundreds of thousands of lives. We don't ever get even a
0: mention. Well, the president also explained why he told his administration to slow down the rate of coronavirus testing.
1: When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test and they test. We got tests that people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. The young man's 10 years old. He's got the sniffles. He'll recover in about 15 minutes. That's a case. Add up to it. That's a case. That's a case.
0: Well, President Trump there. Well, let's talk a little bit about how we open up trade this week. Steve is with us from Smithfield Market. And Steve, as we talk about this spike in cases in Germany from last week as a result of those widespread abattoir infections, we should just tell the audience that you're actually at a meat distribution center here effectively in London.
2: Meat Distribution Center, how dare you, Geoffrey. Good morning, my friend. Uh, I'm at Smithfield Market, which is one of the most famous uh, old market uh, of the old markets uh, in, in in England, if not the world, actually. Uh, we were at Covent Garden last week, which is the old flower market. This is still very much uh, a live market. Why don't I get out of the way? Because um, uh, it, it's a fantastic place. It's a place where you and I know, Geoffrey, very well, because it's around the corner from CNBC's offices as well. Uh, and, and dare I say, in a days where you'd be working on an overnight shift or working a long shift, you could always come and get a fantastic breakfast very early in the morning after squat Box or even, even before that as well. But yeah, lots of the uh, traders still here. A lot of them have uh, moved on already because basically this is an all-night market and then they go off uh, to the various uh, meat sellers, wholesalers, butchers, you name it, around the country uh, with their produce from here as well. So it, it is an extraordinary place. And I've got to say the health and safety here is quite phenomenal as well and has improved massively over the years as well. So uh, touch wood, we won't see any replication of some of those global issues. But yeah, that's exactly where I am. Um, and uh, yeah, the UK, is in a very interesting place at the moment. Lots going on uh, in terms of what we think the government's going to do in terms of social distancing. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later on, Jeff.
0: Yeah, I think the um, the interesting question this morning is uh, it, where we are in terms of those two issues that we focused a lot on this programme. And I think we've made the case very clearly right from the beginning here that we're go- there were going to be two real key issues when it came to how the markets need to think about this. One is how the virus behaves, whether it ultimately disappears as we head into the autumn uh, and the summer break. Uh, whether there is a vaccine, whether there are good uh, treatments for both uh, testing, confirming the existence and, of course, then treating the condition. And then I think the other point was really about how the economy deals with the lockdown and then comes out of the lockdown and whether these two issues together would help steer sentiment when it came to the market's behaviour. Now, we know how the markets have behaved. The question is, what do we then see happen from here? Is there justification for the multiple expansion that we've currently seen? Is there any further justification for multiple expansion through the rest of the summer here, given that we're actually not really seeing cases trail off. If anything the first wave of this virus doesn't seem to have abated.
2: Yeah, so much uh, in there, Jeffrey, as well. And, and you're absolutely right. It is the twin ills for the market and, indeed, for the broader economy. And, and the thing you and I care about the most is people's jobs, people's livelihoods. And our, and our, and our viewers just trying to uh, get by in this situation. Look, I'm also by St. Bartholomew's Hospital, one of the, the great ancient hospitals and magnificent NHS institutions as well. So you, you have actually got those twin stories here live in my eyeline. Let's say NHS, uh, St. Bart's over there, um, Smithfield over here. So let's go on that former issue as well, we may never get a vaccine. Let, let's just remember that as well. There is amazing progress being made, I'm sure, on phase one, two, possibly phase three trials on various vaccine technologies, what have you. But that may never happen. So we have to work on what we've got. And what we've got is actually uh, health services around the world are getting much better and, and being better equipped as well, it had to be said, getting much better at finding treatments for keeping people alive and stopping people dying from this as well uh, and working out uh, where the susceptibilities are in the system and indeed in society. So regardless of whether there is a vaccine or not, and let's say we will get a vaccine, but we just don't know when, regardless of when that event happens, things are getting better on the way that this is treated, uh, certainly in the United Kingdom uh, and there's other countries in Europe where they've got better methodology uh, of handling the situation. In terms of the economy, well, quite frankly, the economy is still very much on life support across the world, isn't it? We've seen the vast amount of monetary support which has been coming in. We saw it again from the Bank of England with another £100 billion Pounds last week, Uh, and we understand from the weekend that the fiscal support is just going to keep rolling in. Certainly in this country as well, with Rishi Sunak talking uh, about uh, July the sixth summer statement potentially, uh, where we understand just because it's been talked about a lot, we could see some fiscal stimulus. Maybe we could see some consumption tax cuts in the UK. It's called VAT, Value Added Tax, as well. So very much under a lot of pressure because the fear is mass unemployment. When you get mass unemployment, of course, a it's a big burden on the state, and b There's a lack of economic activity and consumption going on. So, yeah, people are incredibly worried about both sides of the equation. In terms of the markets, let's just go back to what we said a dozen times on this channel as well. Some markets are up. Some markets feel a bullion. Some markets are being bought because it's 21st century technology and people are looking through this current crisis. But many, many, many markets are not up. And we must remember a lot of these cyclical stocks as well are are in deep discounted territory as well. And I'll just give one example because I I can, because it's the one I always do, energy. If energy, if people thought this economy was gonna go gangbusters up again, then you wouldn't have energy fit 38% below. 38% below, it's 52 week high.
0: No, absolutely. I think that's a terrific point, Steve. Because uh, even as uh, the bulls at the moment fixate on the stimulus, and it is very clear that the stimulus is there, um, Michael Hartnett from uh, Bank of uh, America Merrill Lynch, uh, the CIO of there, putting out some terrific data uh, over the last few days, suggesting that um, if you add up what we've seen in terms of monetary and fiscal, it's something around the region of eighteen point four trillion dollars uh, over the last. Last three months uh, here in 2020 alone. Uh, and obviously, that, um, to a certain extent, is, is going to continue, given what you've said about just here in the UK, what Richie Sunak is, is intending to do here. But that represents um, 20%-plus of global GDP. So you can see a heck of a lot of money has been thrown at this. And I think the point that you make about where are the or where is the impact of that being seen in the real economy is critical because as we're going to see and we're just round the corner from those second quarter earnings numbers the markets have gone up. Financial assets have been repriced to take advantage of that additional liquidity. But where does the rubber meet the road here as we come out of the the lockdown and we're starting to see retail outlets open up? You get a quick first day flurry, maybe a second day flurry. And then it seems that the buying is actually easing off at this stage. And I wonder, you know, we speculated, Steve, a lot about whether consumer behaviour will change either permanently or for some time to come. I do wonder whether we're beginning to see that already in the reopenings.
2: No, I'm going to be totally frank about this. I, I think the, the attitude of politicians who are saying, go out and save the economy and go and shop for Britain, to think, well, look, I, I, I will do my best. But quite frankly, I think that is irresponsible in the extreme. People are terrified about their personal financial situation. They are terrified, quite rightly, of losing their jobs. And we've, we've, we've rounded off a huge, huge number of big, important companies cutting big, important jobs as well. Jobs that take years to create careers, Degrees, finance attached to that as well. And they're replacing them with e-commerce van driving jobs or they're saying, I'll go out and work in retail. Well, quite frankly, if I was... Uh, sensible, and and, and I I think I'm relatively sensible. You you look at your personal balance sheet and you think, actually, I'm going to save money. I'm not going to go out and uh, have the same kind of debt levels I had before this crisis. I'm not going to go out and put all my money on my credit card again. I'm not going to go out and buy loads of holidays just because you have deemed to let me travel again to Wales, or or you've opened up a travel corridor. There are 9 million people virtually in this country on furlough. How many of those are never going to go back to their employment? I would suggest a, a large number, unfortunately, and that is the fact as well. So people are looking at their personal balance sheet because they are more fearful now and rightly so about their employment prospects than they have been perhaps in my lifetime Jeff perhaps even though I lived through the late 80s crisis the one at the turn of the century as well the GFC as well and I think people are more frightened rightly so now and of course they're not going to go out and spend as well so it's going to take more than taking two and a half percent off a consumption tax to get me to go out and spend and I think a lot of people as well.
0: Steve, terrific and interesting you mentioned Wales, memories of a, of a camping holiday, was it?
2: I love Wales. I had a brilliant (laughs) holiday last year. Don't get me wrong. I have got aspirations for a continental holiday this summer
0: if I'm allowed to go. But don't get me wrong. I love my British holidays as well. As well, you know, my friend. Brilliant. We'll catch up with you a little bit later on. Let's just uh, remind the audience uh, where we're headed in terms of the markets here. Then The early call in terms of the futures is that we will actually have a a weak start to the trade. But this is very early on, as you know, in terms of situations. this is what it will look like as we get to the open. We've got a bit of uh, open water to cover before we get there. Uh, a reminder due, I think, of just where we closed the session uh, Friday. And we did see, uh, again, just sentiment easing off uh, on Friday around these major indices. The Dow uh, off eight-tenths of one percent to the close and the S&P 500, as you can see here, uh, down a a half of one percent. The Nasdaq, well, it just about crawled over the line, didn't it, um, to close the session up three points here but again just a reminder very much that the story has still been around those technology companies um, safe havens well gold has uh, has had its uh, best day uh, I think in a month uh, and so we're back up at 1752 uh, two here for the, for the gold quote uh, and um, that's a quick snapshot on where you've seen some of the other safe havens benefit here just to, to the point that we, Steve and I were discussing about how much liquidity there is out there, I would recommend that you go and have a look at our website. There's a terrific piece on there titled US banks are swimming in money. Basically, deposits increasing by $2 trillion amid the coronavirus. This is the argument that the bulls are making at the moment, that there is so much cash sitting in deposit and checking accounts that surely Americans will go out and spend And that's the issue, isn't it? How confident are you in believing that that money will move from those accounts ultimately into? company pockets, balance sheets and ultimately maybe into the stock market. The 10-year note, let's just have a quick look at this. And this is the other point that I think people need to think about here. I know we focus very much on the short-time price movement when we come over to the wall and we walk you through these numbers. But just do a mental exercise. As you think about how you want to get involved or engage with the markets, just do a mental exercise. The kind of exercise that they do every day in the investment banks as the professional economists sit down in their asset allocation meeting and they think about what they're going to do with their uh, with their capital where do you think this yield on the 10-year is going to be in three months in six months in 12 months is it going to be a half of 1% is it going to be 1% is it going to be 1.3% because ultimately the price of the 10-year, and the yield that it reflects will tell you an awful lot about the world that we're living in and how the big investors are thinking about the implied returns going forward. And ultimately, uh, as we looked out two, three, four years maybe, where does all that stimulus money go that we're talking about? Will it be inflation? Will it be continued deflation? Or is there another answer. But thats it's always a very useful exercise to do that. Just try and think about what if, 12 months hence, how would you then think about allocating for that scenario? Let's talk about some of the other stories as we just show you how the Asian session is wrapping up for some of these markets. President Trump uh, has taken away the story that I was just going to read, or maybe it's Noel the producer. But anyway, let's move on. Coming up, the mystery of the missing funds plagues wirecard as the german payments company says the money may not have existed at all we'll take the break we'll be right back and if you'd like to hear what we've discussed already this morning again you can check out the squawk box podcast Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Let's get into uh, some of the other corporate news flow this morning. American Airlines is seeking three and a half billion dollars of additional capital as it fights to survive the pandemic, which has grounded much of air travel. The company plans to raise one and a half billion dollars by issuing new shares and convertible bonds, while the rest will be funded through a junk bond and loans. The airline has started increasing domestic flights for the summer season and plans to fly 55% of its US capacity in July, giving the share price a lift from the depths it hit in May. Sources have told CNBC Lufthansa shareholder Heinz Hermantile will meet with Deputy Finance Minister Jörg Kukiz and the airline's chiefs to discuss the billionaire investors' objections to the carrier's bailout. Lufthansa CEO Carsten Spohr said the company aims to avoid insolvency ahead of the showdown with Tele over the €9 billion bailout. In a letter to his employees, Spohr said he hopes to resolve the matter ahead of a shareholder meeting this Thursday. Wirecard says uh, 1.9 billion euros missing from its accounts may not have existed in the first place. Annetta has more on this story. Um, Anetta, there are all sorts of uh, parties to this story that don't come out of it looking too clever, not least uh, Barfin and the German regulators. Um, I'm sure that there are lots of uh, consequences downstream for all parties. But just bring us up to date then. How can this 1.9 billion euros never have existed in the first place?
3: Yeah, that's the most interesting question, isn't it? Apparently, at least according to what we um, seem to know so far, that is because the Philippine banks involved with these trustee accounts, uh, there were um, employees who have um, allegedly fake documents so that it seemed that these accounts really existed. So um, that would be the um, the big fraud issue Wirecard was pointing at on Friday, I guess, which they had not under control. That's the narrative for now. But now over the weekend, according to Handelsblatt, the um, yeah the step down CEO was apparently saying that the cash might actually come back and it should exist. So it's still not clear whether that cash never existed, whether it vanished, and what actually happened. And that's. At the core of the issue, also what happens to Wirecard next. According to sources, um, the uh, um, main bank consortium, which is led by Commerzbank, they are having an interest to keep Wirecard afloat if that money had existed, or if it's possible to keep Wirecard operational also without that money, and that's what they are currently working on on a viable financing concept. Because that consortium, um, which um, which is led by Commerzbank, had issued a revolving credit line of 1.75 billion euros just two years ago so they are working on some sort of financing plan at the one side but at the other side of course uh, they well the regulators they look into what actually has happened to that cash and as soon as we know we probably can also say whether Wirecard can exist going forward.